this month on the Voices of Experience podcast. I think we have been conditioned over time that everything is black or white or either or. The importance of the word and. You can do both, and sometimes you have to make hard choices between the two, but you don't have to do it at the expense of one group of people or the other. Collaboration has always been Kirsten Benefield's style, whether it was at her first sales and customer care job out of college or during her time in the C-suite. And maybe that's why she has a remarkable ability to find success in a variety of industries, regardless of how much or how little experience she's had in the field. On this episode, we talk about what it's like to walk into an unfamiliar industry as a CEO, how to cope with loneliness at the top of the org chart, and how to sell yourself, your vision, and your ideas in an area where you may not be the expert. Kirsten, how are you today? (laughs) I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. We're really happy that you're here. You are uh, a multi-time alum of the University of Denver, the Daniels College of Business. You originally went to school here for communications and public relations? I did, yeah, for my undergrad. Tell us how you got started and how you were able to find success working in an industry that was not what you got your bachelor's degree in. Well, uh, my first job out of college was with Anderson Consulting, now Accenture, and I think the great thing about Accenture is, you know, it's a large business consulting company and they have different um, focus areas, strategy, process, technology, change management, and public relations and communication really aligned well with the concept of in business, you know, how do you communicate and work through change? You know, as a first year uh, associate at Anderson, uh, you know, we would be implementing a new software system and we had to train. And, um, and so we were implementing a sales software to a Salesforce, to a, a mm-hmm. group of sales individuals. And if you know anything about sales individuals, they're individuals, the last thing they want is a sales system to track their sales. <laughs> and so it was a bit of a PR campaign to really get uh, the sales teams on board with using a software system and um, leveraging my communication skills to really understand um, how to connect heads and hearts with what we were trying to do and get people to adopt the change and use the system. And um, through that, I really learned the benefit of active listening, of engagement. I did a ton of sales ride-alongs to understand, you know, what they did and why it may be important to them, just like you would, um, I think, in any, you know, um, in any good role, you would, you know, really kind of seek to understand. And so I was able to do that and then leverage my background to turn it into what we needed to do to accomplish our objective. Yeah. And I guess when you're in the C-suite or just a leader in general, you do need to sell yourself, your vision, your values to your employees, right? hundred percent every day. So I think, you know, first, any good leader has to have a vision, right? And so in order for people to follow you, They need to understand where you're going and why where you're going is appropriate for your company and for them personally. And so being able to communicate is key. And sometimes you have to be able to decipher that message into seven or eight different ways to connect, you know, kind of heads and hearts with what you're saying and why they want to listen. And so I think being able to understand that from the perspective of your employees, from your customers, from your board, um, is incredibly important. And so the message, um, the tone has to shift, and you have to be able to be agile enough and flexible enough to be able to do that. What's the key to developing 
that technique in the first place to to be able to to know yourself uh, enough to convey that Ooh, that's a good question um i would say there's two components to that one is understanding your own leadership style right so to knowing yourself um, and so I know that I am my best authentic self when I am driven by my values, right? I'm working in alignment with what I believe to be true, and I can be collaborative about it. Um, I really enjoy working with people and hearing their ideas, not because I'm not sure of where I think I need to go on my own, but I always like to understand the different perspectives and ways and add to and build to what we're doing. Um, and so I think my leadership style, that collaboration, I think also helps from a communication perspective. And I think the other thing that's important is really just to be able to listen and walk in the shoes of your employees or your customers, you know, from an experience perspective to understand kind of what you're doing and how it ties to them, I think is incredibly important. You took over as chief operating officer at HSS in 2018. Yep. And this is a company that does security in healthcare, aviation, government services, right? Correct. Had you ever worked in that sphere? No. <laughs> <laughs> so you're CEO of a, of a company in a sphere that you have not worked in before. How do you walk into that room and, and get the respect to, to be a CEO, to build that trust? I kind of see this as um, two different answers. One, you could have the industry respect or you could have the experience respect. And I feel like while I wasn't an expert in physical security in hospitals or in airports and government buildings, I did know how to build teams. I did know how to understand what customers needed, what employees needed, and how to create a strategy that we could execute on. And I think that was what was incredibly important for that time. We had a host of experts within our company and I was able to continue to build upon what they already had with the skills I was bringing in from the outside. And I think those that were customers and employees that were willing to engage and listen were able to quickly see that I was there to help and build value. Um, and I think that made it a much easier uh, approach. That sounds good to me. Did you have any trouble selling yourself to anybody within the company of, oh, this lady, she doesn't know anything about security. She's never worked here before. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. You know, and I was only the fourth CEO of the company. Uh, the first one had been there for an incredibly long time, I think 30 years, you know, um, 10 years, five years. And so I was only the fourth. So th this wasn't a, a company that was used to a lot of change in particular. And here I am, had only been with the company a little over a year and uh, being moved into that CEO position. But I think what did help was that my year as CE, uh, COO, I spent in the field trying to really understand what my employees did, why they did it, how they needed help and build programs. And so I wasn't an unknown commodity. They knew I was there to help. And, and so I think that really uh, made a difference. But that's not to be said I didn't have, you know, critiques, criticizers, people, you know, especially when I would go to industry roundtables, you know, and they would kind of look at me and smirk and, mm -hmm. you know, like, why are you here? Mm -hmm. um, um, but that's, I think, to be expected in any industry or any change, right? It's a little bit of human nature. Did you get some of those looks also as a female CEO in this industry? 
I think there are some amazing women leaders in security that have started to build their own companies or work with um, a partner in building their own companies. Uh, but HSS was one of the largest security companies um, after some of the biggest players. And uh, so I would go to industry events and be the only female CEO in the room. And um, that was different. And um, But I tried not to focus on the fact that I was there to be different. I tried to focus on the fact of what could I bring to the industry and how could I work in partnership. And so immediately um, I just tried to network and work with other CEOs, you know, share leads, discuss best practices. Um, and I think, I think that surprised people that I was willing to be so open. I think the security industry as a whole can sometimes be, um, you know, a little bit more closed off. Not, not ironically. <laughs> not right? ironically, <laughs> right? And so I just really tried to um, show that I was there to help build on what they were already building. We have a question to play for you from uh, one of our MBA students here at Daniels who wanted to know a little bit more about your yeah. CEO experience. Absolutely. My question for Kirsten is, was your experience at the CEO level what you thought it was going to be? What trade-offs did you have to make? And that's Katie Richmond, an MBA student. Great. Thank you, Katie. Uh, I mean, parts of it were uh, like I thought it would be and parts of it weren't. You know, I had a friend who was a CEO when I was a COO, and sometimes he would say things like, and I think the implication was, well, you wouldn't understand, right? And I, and I was like, what? just a little bit like, well, how, you know, what wouldn't I understand? And then I think when I became CEO, I, I realized it's, you know, everyone says it's incredibly lonely, and it is incredibly lonely. For someone who is an incredibly collaborative person, mm -hmm. there are times and places where you can't share information or you know things and that, that group of people you want to bring together, um, you can't really have those conversations with them. And I think that hit me harder than I was expecting. Mm. Um, I'm pretty good at compartmentalizing, you know, in terms of, you know, kind of saying, okay, in this meeting, in this place, this is how I need to show up and what we need to do. But there were times when I just really wanted to sit down and talk to somebody and just say, man, what are we going to do about this? Or can you believe this happened today? And you can't, I couldn't do that really. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would, um, and so I had an executive coach who I really leaned on. Um, she had been a CHRO in a prior life. And so when I needed to really just process out loud my thinking, it was nice to have that person there. And so I think for, for me, you know, even though being collaborative is part of my leadership style, it doesn't situationally always work. And so you have to be able to shift your style. That's interesting. I never really thought about it that way, but they do say it's lonely at the top, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> not for the reasons I thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not at HSS anymore, but I did want to ask you about the future of manned security, if I could. You told Colorado Biz Magazine that it's becoming very commoditized um, and manned security is not the future of security. So what is? I think it's the integration of those pieces. So there's, you know, manned or physical or, you know, security guards, as the industry um, will call them, or officers, as we called them. 
Um, I think there's officers, there's technology. So we had digital components. You see that so much coming into play right now with cameras and badges. AI is huge, right? Um, predictive analytics around um, just kind of what uh, secure, potential security events and what to look out for. And so I think it's not that it's an either or, it's an and. And I think the industry had always said, you know, this was, I think, historically people were the only answer. And I think what you'll see in the future is that it's more of an and, and there will be a complement of security officers with technology um, that maybe you haven't seen before. I want to talk to you a little bit about Colorado Inclusive Economy, which... Uh, according to your website, helps organizations revamp their recruiting and hiring practices, transform their culture to embrace inclusivity, mm-hmm. and invest in education and workforce development. Yeah. So this was August 2020 when you got involved in this? Yep. I feel like we can't have a conversation <laughs> about business without mentioning the year 2020. <laughs> what was 2020 like for you, and uh, how did it push you into this endeavor? Uh, 2020, obviously, was COVID, and uh, so it was very interesting being a first-time CEO, being announced practically like two months before COVID started. And so the business strategy and plan I had going in as CEO um, obviously had to shift um, as COVID materialized. And um, But one thing I was passionate about regardless was, especially in the industry I, w- I was in, was you know diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so, especially as a female leader coming into the space and just looking around and thinking about, you know, where, where was their growth opportunity for our employees? Um, you know, you want your employees to feel like they're represented at the company that they're working in. And sometimes I would look around at our customers and um, who we were serving and our security officers didn't always Uh, represent that same group of people. And I felt like there was a lot of opportunity uh, for, you know, more training and better career pathing for our security team. And uh, one of the big pieces I focused on first was equity and uh, making sure that our leaders, you know, at the management levels were, you know, consistent or more equitable in terms of pay. Um, you know, that can be when you're in a contract or a services businesses, they can sometimes dictate your rates. And if you're not watching, you can create disparity, not on purpose, just, you know, through normal business practices. And so we took a big step back to really take a look at where were we and where do we need to be um, from an equity perspective. That leads me into a second student question that we had for you from Kaylee Carenta, who's an MBA student here. And she wanted to know a little bit about organizational culture and how you balance that with operational excellence. Hi, Kirsten. One thing you say in your bio is that you focus on building customer-driven solutions, delivering operational excellence, and developing strong organizational cultures. My question for you is, how do you drive a balance across these sometimes conflicting goals and knowing which to prioritize and when? Thank you. So these weren't the softball questions I take. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, these are our students. You know what they're capable of, right? I know. I know. It's such a great question, and thank you for asking. Um, You know, uh, I'll reflect back on something that um, someone once told me to think about, uh, two things in particular. One was uh, an abundance versus, versus a scarcity mindset, and the other was the word and. 
And I've really tried to employ both of those ideas um, as I build teams and work on companies. And I think for me growing up, and I think maybe just generationally, I think you chose a job, you stepped onto the corporate ladder, and you just went up the ladder, right? And so there was a very much a scarcity mindset, right? There's only one promotion to this position or two promotions. And, um, and so that elicited behavior that maybe, you know, after a few years in the work world, I, w- I just, it, it was anxiety-inducing, and it wasn't actually aligned with my values of how I really saw the world. And I realized that um, you could move the ladder, you could move it to another place you wanted to go. You could step off the ladder and, you know, you could make lateral moves. Mm-hmm. And um, I think really looking at the world through an abundance lens, that there is more than enough to go around. And just because, you know, I take a position doesn't mean there's less for you to have. When I think about organizational culture and building teams, I think you have to think from that abundance mind shift and have the team think from that perspective and that doesn't mean that it means, oh, there's limitless dollars go crazy. It means there will be more. What is the thing that we need to focus on right now? And if we're successful, more will come. And then the other thing I would say when we talk about operational excellence, employees, and culture, it's that it's an and. And so, you know, you can build a great employee culture and have an amazing customer experience. Uh, I think we have been conditioned over time that everything is black or white or either or, and you can do both. And sometimes you have to make hard choices between the two, but you don't have to do it at the expense of one group of people or the other. And I think it's just a mindset shift. Um, And I don't believe, you know, generationally that was something that was drilled into me. I think it was the opposite. And so I know as I look across my group of cohort of leaders that I've been – just honored to just have his friends and work with and learn from. I think it's a shift I've watched all of us make. You also teach future leaders, current leaders here at Daniels um, in the EMBA program. You're an adjunct there. And I think I read uh, the class that you specialize in is called the entrepreneurial mindset. It is for the enterprise. For the enterprise. So what is that mindset? Is it what you just described? I mean, pretty much. I think people think startups you know, are kind of like where it's at. I was teaching, joint teaching with another professor, and a student said, well, what if I don't want to be an entrepreneur? Is that okay? You know, like, and very honestly, right, like just very meaningfully, like the world doesn't seem to want to talk about anything besides entrepreneurship and starting your own company and, you know, doing your own thing. And so really the the intent behind this class was, you know, within a bigger company, you know, call it fortune, I don't know, mid-size and up, um, you can still be innovative. You can still be entrepreneurial. It might look different, um, but you can still contribute in a way that helps shape the outcome of where the company is going. And there's tools that you can bring to do um, to do and achieve just that. What, what is the aspect of that mindset that you feel like most entrepreneurs are missing or that they most often forget? I've been, I've had the pleasure of meeting several really amazing entrepreneurs, and um, I don't know if it's that they forget. You know, a good friend of mine has this expression, there's explorers, settlers, and townspeople. And I love it because, um, you know, there's a group of people that will go out and find new paths, right? Blaze new trails, explorers. 
Um, and I love that analogy, one, because I worked at Newmont Mining, and I thought our exploration team was super cool, and I totally got it right away. Um, and then there's people that are settlers, right? You know, the exploration maybe has been achieved, and they're really good at scaling and growing and creating community. Uh, and then there's townspeople, people who like to do the job, right? And um, when he said that, it kind of clicked for me because he said that around the same time, um, a good friend I met in the executive MBA program, um, we were talking about what we were going to do when we graduate, which I think, you know, you, you come to this program to learn, but you also are thinking about how is this going to impact my career? And so there was a lot of just discussions around what we wanted to do with our lives and our careers. And this friend looked at me and said, uh, we were talking and he was like, well, you would not be great at a, you know, as an entrepreneur. And he was like, you would just, because I was talking about maybe joining this really early startup. And he was like, that's, no. Mm-mm. And, I'm, and I was kind of taken aback. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, you've known me for like a hot minute, eight months of my entire life. And, um, and then I thought, you know, hey, feedback is a gift. So tell me more, um, which was very mature of me. And he explained, he was like, you know, um, He's like, I see you as the person who brings order to chaos. He's like, entrepreneurship can be very chaotic. He's like, you are great at creating community, at building scale, at growing and doing things. Um, he's like, I'm, he's like, and then he started to explain maybe why I wouldn't like the entrepreneur life and why maybe, you know, kind of being the quote unquote, um, the settler was really where my strengths and what I had really built in my prior 20 years of work experience at that point. And he said it in such a kind and like thoughtful way to say, I've seen you do all these great things and what you would really do well at is this. And it was such a lovely moment because not many people had taken the time to really think about who I was as a person and how that could apply to my next career. Um, And then having that other friend kind of give me that analogy and framework, I really kind of, it stuck to me because I think my values my collaboration, my, you know, what I really like to do as a leader, um, I think really kind of lent itself incredibly well. And so getting back to your question around um, what do they forget or maybe are not good at entrepreneurs, I think they're so focused on blazing that path and creating that trail and creating that new product or that offering um, that once they are super successful, Sometimes some entrepreneurs have a harder time letting go of their grip and getting ready to really scale the business because that might mean the things that kind of got them to be incredibly successful as an entrepreneur, right, that just single-minded vision, that kind of just throw it on your back and do it alone if you have to. Um, When you're trying to scale and grow, a company doesn't always work. And so great entrepreneurs are able to pivot, I think, and either acknowledge that that's not where they're Um, best use of their skills are anymore Um, or they're able to pivot and continue to grow the company I've seen both and I think um, I think knowing yourself back to the first question you asked me right like how how well do you know yourself and how has that really formed what you've done I think is incredibly important I don't know if those words of advice made it in here but I heard that you have a notebook of lessons that you've learned from previous jobs and advice. That's it on the table right it's here? It's on the table. <laughs> <laughs> what is one of the pages that you read and reread most often in there? That's a good one. I have it open to one, but that's just because of what I was jotting down this morning. 
it's um, and for those people who are listening and can't see, this is a, a thick sketchbook with, with stickers on the back and lots of drawings and diagrams on the pages. I kind of have things in here um, around you know just mood and friendship and just ways to think about how to kind of live in the moment more. I read a ton, a, a ton. I love it. For me, it's incredibly relaxing. And I like, I'm, I'm a very curious person, and so I really like how people think about things. And I love when somebody thinks differently than I do, or they put it to words so much more eloquently than I could ever say. And so I like to jot down the way people think about things. One of the pages I've been reading a lot lately is I read a book. And so I have um, three kids at home. I have older parents, and I'm kind of in the middle of having some of those difficult conversations with Um, my parents and my family around, well, what are we going to do as we all get older? And what is it? um, How can I best support my mom through this time? And so I read this book that I've been referring to all of my friends. It's called Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. It gives you like this framework. And if you can't tell, I'm a process dork. I mean, I worked at Accenture forever, so who doesn't love a good framework? Um, But it's not a four-box model. But it gives you a really cool framework to think about Um, how to have hard conversations. And then when I really started thinking about it, these actually are conversations you could have with anyone. He just happened to frame it in terms of an aging parent. And so I find myself referring to these page of questions, like what is your understanding of the situation and its potential outcomes? What are your fears and what are your hopes? What are the trade-offs you are willing to make and not willing to make? And what's that course of action that best serves this understanding? And so talking to my mom about getting older, what are the trade-offs? Like, what's most important to you? And living alone was incredibly important to my mother. And so, okay, well, then how do we make that happen? And what what other trade-offs are you willing to give up on? Can you have groceries delivered? Can someone come to the house and clean? Yes, I know it won't be to your standard, but you're going to have to get over that, right? And so you can have the, you can ask those questions in almost any conversation. And so sometimes when I feel myself getting really frustrated with somebody, not really understanding, like, why won't they just do it this way, right? I think this this book helps center me around um, how to remember that, you know, all of us as humans just want to write our own story, just want to be in charge of our narrative. And when you feel like you're losing control of that narrative, uh, there is a way to look at that situation. As a voice of experience, Kirsten, what's something you'd want to pass along to our listeners? Maybe I think the advice I'd like to leave everybody with is that um, it goes back to that abundancy mindset and really just for people to show up, you know, listen, really think about who they want to be and go after it. I spent way too many years of the first years of my career trying trying to do what was expected of me on a corporate ladder I wasn't sure I needed to be on. And when I was able to take a step back from that, Um, and really think about what is it I wanted to do. Um, I had so many great learning experiences and so many great mentors and just so many interesting life experiences that when I finally became um, a CEO, which is something I chose to be, um, I felt like I had such a great network of people to fall back on to get help with and to bounce ideas off of. And so I would just encourage people to remember that – you know, you are enough and you can kind of choose your own career and your own path and it can go a number of different ways and uh, just continue to kind of build that um, support group along the way. 
That's Kirsten Benefiel, a seasoned executive, the former CEO of HSS, a two-time DU alum, and an adjunct professor here in our executive MBA program. Kirsten, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. I did my best to describe Kirsten's notebook of lessons and advice, but sometimes words just don't cut it. Fortunately, you can take a peek inside on our show notes, where we have photos of a couple of Kirsten's favorite pages. You can crack the cover at daniels.du.edu slash voe podcast. The VOE podcast is an extension of Voices of Experience, the signature speaker series at the Daniels College of Business, sponsored by U.S. Bank. Chloe Smith is our sound engineer. She's sadly graduating, but congratulations, Chloe. Alumnus Joshua Metzel wrote our theme. I'm Lauren Fultenberg, and that's a wrap for season two. We so appreciate you listening, and we'll see you again in the fall.